0: So, put our Bibles this morning to the Book of Revelation, chapter 19. I have entitled the morning's message "The Marriage Supper of the Lamb." So, let's reread the first um, ten verses of Revelation 19. We have two different uh, thoughts going on: verses 1 through 6, and then the marriage supper of the Lamb itself in 7 through 10. Verse 1. After these things I heard a loud voice and a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah. By the way, do you know that in all the languages in the world that hallelujah is the same in every language? That's in my notes. I just just remembered it right now. No matter where you're from, No matter what language you speak, hallelujah is hallelujah. Hallelujah? (laughs) (laughs) Salvation and glory and honor and power to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her, and again they said, Hallelujah. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who sat on a throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you, his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard as if it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, "Hallelujah," for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Uh, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is a righteous axe of the saints. And then he said to me, "Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant. And of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So before we get into talking about the um, marriage supper of the Lamb itself, um, we have these first uh, six verses. We read in verse one, a great uh, voice of a great multitude Uh, in the worship scenes that we saw in earlier chapters with the um, elders, the church, the uncounted numbers of tribulation saints have now been added to the chorus and they are going to sing. This is the first time that they've been able to utter the great note of praise of the Old Testament, hallelujah. This word occurs four times in the first six verses, and this is the only occurrence in the New Testament. It is reserved for the final victory. Hallelujah, is a fitting note of praise at this juncture in the book of Revelation. The Great Tribulation is over, Jesus is coming, and the church is to be unified with Christ in marriage. Now, before we again get into our study, I just want to lay a little bit of background facts of other places. Um, A lot of our study uh, this morning is going to be actually in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. But uh, just some New Testament references, too many to really give you all of them. So let me just give you some facts about um, uh, the marriage supper and the marriage itself. First of all, um, the marriage is described through the parables of Jesus. Um, I'll just give you a couple of them here uh, from Luke. 12 is one, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning and you yourselves like Ben that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding. So here's Luke referring to it. We sang about it this morning, um, the coming of the Lord. Um, the first six verses we've gone through Um, Another one from um, Matthew 22 is the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. Matthew 22, verse 2. Matthew 25, another parable. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. That's Matthew 25, and we'll be coming back to that a little bit later. Um, This marriage is described through the vision of John, where we are right now. So if you we just did the first six verses. If you look at verse 7, the marriage is described through the vision of John, where it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, And his wife has made herself ready. So now these one, two, three, four verses um, here in Revelation um, are now getting prepared for the wedding uh, feast itself. The marriage itself, I believe, takes place in heaven. But the marriage supper will take place upon the earth, much in the same way when we have a wedding here, we have the wedding here. But then we go somewhere else to a reception place and we'll have a meal there. So it's pretty much in the same like manner. Um, I believe um, that the marriage will probably take place and you gotta, you gotta remember, um, in heaven there is no time. We have time uh, and space and um, that here, but when you enter the eternal realm, when you start dealing with the subject of time, it's eternal. And I can't wrap my head all around that, but I, I know that's what the scriptures teach on the subject. But in First Corinthians chapter 3, it's called either the judgment seat of Christ or the great Bema seat. And basically what it is, is Jesus judging the church. If we would go there, it's a whole Bible study within itself. And basically, it's not about your sins being judged, but rather, the things that you've done with your, from the time you were born (laughs) until the time the rapture comes or the Lord takes you home, those things that you've done in the name of Jesus. And what will be judged is uh, not your sins, The Bible says, you will never be put to shame. Isn't that a great verse? I will separate your sins as far as the east is from the west, and I will remember them no more. So the judgment seat of Christ is not about Jesus judging your sins, but rather why you did what you did for the Lord. In other words, the motive. He says, it talks about his his eyes that can see through things that I can't see about you I don't know why you do the things you do uh, whether for the Lord I don't know what your motive is I see these um, corporate um, people donating large checks to, um, uh, to different corporations and, and places of good work but what do you see also well the check's about that time <laughs> it's about that big and then they want to make sure the media is there that's called uh, receiving your treasure now. That's why Jesus said don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. That when you do something for the Lord, do it in secret because your heavenly Father, who sees in secret, he's gonna reward you openly. But if you do your good works before men, then you already have your reward. And you're familiar with those scriptures. So after the judgment seat of Christ, even if you lived your whole life and had done nothing for the Lord, it clearly says, because you accepted him, it says even that soul has no rewards, but his soul is still saved. So what does that tell us? That I think um, everybody who goes to heaven, their joy is going to be full. Is it possible that some people's joy will be more than others? (laughs) I think possibly yes. Yes. Revelation, uh, Daniel 12 talks about those who lead many to righteousness will shine like stars forever. And just, my mind just kind of wonders about what that means. Is is there a different amount of glory attributed or some shine brighter? Who knows? But it clearly says that um, if your works were of wood, they'll be burned. But um, if your works were precious stones, in other words, something that remains, you will be rewarded accordingly. So I think I've made the point. What is the judgment seat of Christ? Jesus, judging our motives, why we've done um, on the earth, and he is the only one who can make that determination. Why? Because he's the only one who knows my heart. Good place for an amen. He knows your heart, too. And um, so after that event, um, the marriage supper will take place after the wedding, I believe, takes place in heaven, just like we'd have one here. But then um, will take place on the earth. Both the Israelites and Gentiles who enter the millennium, they are the invited guests, and they will be the one where actually the feast the marriage feast itself will take place on earth. Now turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Let's talk about marriage a little bit, seeing that there's a wedding, the wedding of all times is coming forward. Ephesians chapter five, of course, is a classical chapter on um, uh, respons- a woman's responsibility towards her husband and the husband's responsibility towards his wife. So let's pick it up in verse 22, Ephesians chapter five. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands, And everything, husbands, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh. But we nourish it, we feed it well, and cherish it just as the Lord does the church. For we are all members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. And for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife And the two shall become one flesh. And then he says this. This is a great mystery. And just when you got it all figured out, okay, the Lord's talking about a husband and wife and marriage relationship. We got it. And all of a sudden, he flips it all upside down. He says, no, it's a great mystery. That's not really what I'm talking about. He says, nevertheless, it's a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So everything we just read about a husband-wife relationship is only giving us a little taste of time um, on this earth that we are married, but it's a picture and a mystery of the real bride and the real groom. And, and that's what we have in view. Nevertheless, this is a great mystery, but I'm, what I'm talking about here is um, Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So just what do you think? Okay, I got this done. This is what this means. And these are the verses I use when, when, we, have, um, when we have a, uh, a wedding. Um, this is the New Testament teachings from the parables from examples here, Revelation saying it's going to come. But what I'd like to do this morning is spend most of my time in the Old Testament. And um, I'd like you to turn at this time. We'll be coming back to the New. I want you to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 24. But before you get there, I want to lay some New Testament teachings about similitudes. There's a verse that says that Jesus is a type of, of Adam, and Adam is a type of Jesus. In other words, there's a connection between this Old Testament man, Adam, and Jesus himself. It's a type, it's a similitude. And you go, well how is it a similitude, Dwight? Well, just take it through. Eve sinned first, and um, I think when when she came home and said, I'm home, honey. He took a look at one look at her and goes, "What happened? Something was obviously different." I, my personal conviction is I believe they were clothed in light, and all of a sudden she wasn't clothed in light anymore. And he he said, well, "What's this all about?" She was deceived; Adam was not. In order for him to be with her, because now if if you eat of the fruit of the vine, this this fruit here of the tree of, of uh, knowledge of good and evil, um, you're going to die. Well, she did it anyway. And Adam heard that, and he realized what she had done. Now, in order for, if Adam's going to go on living forever, he has to make a choice. And the choice that he made of his own free will is he partook of that tree And what does it say? And they both knew they were naked. Thus my guess that they were clothed in light somehow, and that innocence that was there is gone. And now they had to be driven out of the garden, and there was a cherubim angel there with a sword swinging both ways, so they wouldn't be able to come back and eat from the tree of life. By the way, the tree of life is only mentioned in the book of Genesis and in the book of Revelation. You won't find it anywhere else. The only two places. So how is Jesus a type of Adam? Well, you were dead when you came out of the womb, okay? And you remained dead until, by your own free will, we'll get into this a little bit later too, um, you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And John 11 says, he who lives and believes in me shall never die. You've been born again, and now you have eternal life again. But in order for that to happen, I had to exercise my own free will to accept his forgiveness. But what did he have to do? Well, he had to die. So how is Adam a type of Jesus? Jesus died for his bride so that they could be one. And the only reason I'm going through all this is I want to make a point. I like to say for every New Testament teaching, this morning we're teaching on the marriage supper um, of, of the Lamb. For every New Testament teaching, I believe there's an Old Testament picture. If you just go back to chapter 22, I'll make this brief as an example. Genesis 22 is uh, um, the Lord asking Abraham to offer um, his son his only son and when I read that all I can think of is John 6, 3.16 for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son so already that's going off in the back of back my head. So we have a father saying I want you to take your son to a place I'll show you it's called Mount Moriah and the highest part of Mount Moriah we call Calvary and there uh, he went. It was a three-day journey. Um, and when they got to the land of Moriah, um, he got the lad. We don't know how old Isaac was at this time. And he told the guys that were with him, uh, we're, we're going to go out and worship for a while, but we'll be back. And so they took the wood and um, the burnt uh, offering and, and laid it uh, on his son, so that's interesting to me that the wood for the sacrifice was laid on the back of Isaac. Are you guys seeing the picture coming together here? Jesus carried his own cross. And they went in agreement. Uh, Isaac, I believe, would have been Jesus' age. Isaac figured out um, that, uh, that he was the offering. And he could have said, listen here, you crazy old man. (laughs) What in the world do you think you're doing? No, they went in agreement. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, if there's any other way, any way at all, that you can redeem mankind back to yourself, I vote for that. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. So of his own free will, Jesus Christ went to Calvary to die for his bride. So they they get up there and he lays Isaac on the altar. He's ready. The knife's in the air. It's coming down. And all of a sudden, a voice from heaven, Stop, Abraham. Don't do it. And he found a goat in a thicket. He said, I want you to offer that instead. But to, to... to show you that the New Testament does teach uh, um, uh, pictures of New Testament events, I want to go down, after this whole event, if you go down to verse 14, Abraham names this place. Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided, in other words, future tents. I believe at this time, Abraham figured out that another father was gonna go through with it. And it would be provided, but not here. This is only a picture. And I hope you see it as such. All right, that brings us to um, a picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And uh, we're gonna go through uh, Genesis uh, 24. And let me give you the types in the New Testament Comparisons: The main characters here are going to be Abraham, an unnamed servant, and I'll give you his name. Abraham here in the story. uh, This really happened by just by itself, just like 22 happened by itself. But Abraham here is a type of God the Father. The unnamed servant is the Holy Spirit. Isaac is going to be the type of Jesus, and Rebecca who is the other main character here, is a picture of the church. Let's read verses one and two. Now Abraham was old and advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to his oldest servant of this house who ruled over all that he had, um, and let's just stop right there. So what we have here is a servant that goes unnamed. Unnamed. Well, I know who his name is. And um, all you have to do is go back to chapter 15 and read verse 1 of chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Don't be afraid, Abraham. I'm, I'm your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing that I go childless? Isaac isn't born yet. And my heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. He's a servant. But here we have his name. But why doesn't his name appear when you turn the page and go back to verse 24? We find here, so Abraham said to his oldest servant, who ruled over all that he had. And this is the same guy that would have received the inheritance if Isaac wasn't born. And so I believe that the unnamed servant is a picture here of the Holy Spirit. He's gonna be sent on a job. Now, just think this through with me. When we say God the Father, um, could I also say Yahweh or Jehovah? And I mean all the same thing? Looking for a nod or an amen or a yes? <laughs> okay. Uh, if I say the Lord Jesus Christ, could I say wonderful counselor, the word of God, the prince of peace, the good shepherd? Could I say all those things? And everybody knows I'm talking about who? Jesus. What about the Holy Spirit? Unnamed. Why is he Unnamed. Because we're gonna read in the New Testament that the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to draw attention to Jesus Christ and not himself. That's what the New Testament te- teaches us here. And I believe that's the reason that he goes unnamed here. Take, take that just for what it's worth. Does that make him any less part of the Trinity and all of equal authority and power? No, but here it goes unnamed, and I find that extremely interesting. Okay, what's his job? Um, So the oldest servant uh, over he has, over all that he has, Abraham says to him, I want you to place your hand under my thigh. In other words, he's gonna take an oath. Maybe today if you're going to court, I don't know if they do it anymore these days, they say, place your hand on the Bible. Back then, the way that they did it was putting their hand on her, on her thigh, evidently. And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will take not take a wife from the sons of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. So Isaac is born at my time. I have to reiterate that. And a servant said to him, perhaps a woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house from the land of my kindred uh, and who spoke to me and swore to me saying, to your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will release her. So now we're getting the idea he's got an assignment. He makes an oath. But if the woman's not into it, she has free will to say no. And if that happens, and she doesn't want to come back, uh, so... Verse 9 So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. And uh, so we have in uh, these verses here uh, 3 through 10. So the servant put his hand and he swore concerning this matter. Then the servant took, notice, 10 of his master's camels and departed. For all his master's goods were in his hands and he arose and he went to Mesopotamia uh, to the city of Nahor. So after making this commitment, he's on his way and he's loaded down with all these goods. And in verses 11 through 15, we'll read those and then I want to comment on that. So he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water. So he's made his journey. He's in Mesopotamia. Um, And they were gathering uh, water at the evening time when the women would come out to draw water. And Eliezer, the unnamed servant, said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. They did it in the evening because it was cool. Now let it, that be the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and then she says, drink, and I'll also give you some um, water for your camels let her be the one that you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown your kindness to my master. And if it happens, uh, before he finished speaking, so he's putting this fleece out, and I'll explain fleece in just a little bit. He says, Lord, if you do this and this and this and this, ah, bingo, that's the one you want. And he just got done making this prayer and all of a sudden Rebecca shows up as he's finishing this prayer request. And before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. So he ends up at Abraham's brother's house, came out with her with a pitcher on her shoulder. Now let's see if I can put up Uh, application personally besides the study this morning. What he's doing, this is sort of Christianese, we call it putting a fleece before the Lord. How many of you have heard that terminology before? Do you know where it comes from? It comes from the book of Judges. And it's actually Gideon who's about to go out to war, but he wants to know that the Lord is in on it. He wants to be sure. So I'm quoting now from the book of Judges chapter six. You can turn there if you want to or I'll, I'm just gonna read it. But it's Gideon and he's asking the Lord about going out to war or not going out to war. And he says, look, I put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. So a fleece, you know, off a lamb or a goat. Um, now, if there is dew on the fleece only and the ground is dry, then I know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. This is crazy. When dew comes down, it falls on everything. <laughs> but he's asking it only to fall on the fleece and not the ground. Pretty good, pretty good fleece. And so it was when he rose early the next morning and he squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece a bowl of water. Well, that should have done it, don't you think? Not for Gideon, he wanted brown too. So he said, and Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me, but let me just speak once more. Let me test. This time, just once more with the fleece, let now be dry only on the fleece, but on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece, but only the dew was on the ground. So that's what is happening right here. Eliezer's coming to Abraham's brother's house and he's, he's throwing this fleece out before the Lord and uh, he says let it be the one that when I ask for a drink of water she says well, I can give you a drink of water not only that I'll water your camels too so what happens uh, he goes up asks for the water and I want to point out something in verse 16 about Rebekah Uh, She was a young woman, and as far as I know, this time um, we talk about uh, other women being beautiful, but this is the only place in the scripture where it says very beautiful. So the woman was very beautiful to behold. She was a virgin. No man had known her, and she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant, um, I'm gonna tie this in later, this Remember the very beautiful part because we're going to tie that into Revelation. And the servant ran to, to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from the pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. Then she hastened to let down her pitcher to the hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'm going to draw water for your camels also. Well, the light sure went off for um, Eliezer right there until they had finished drinking. And then she hastened and emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to draw water and drew it for the camels. And the man wondering at her, he remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took um, a golden nose ring uh, weighing half a shekel and here I thought this was uh, uh, something new in this generation where they stick rings in your noses. <laughs> no, this goes way back to Rebecca. And then he takes um, two bracelets and puts it on her 10 shekels of gold and said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. And is there any room at your father's house that we could lodge? And so she said, well, I'm the daughter of Bethul." Uh, milk son whom she bore to Nahor moreover she said to him we have lots of straw and feed enough and room to lodge then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord and he said blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master as for me uh, being on the way the Lord led me to the house of my master's brother. So, Rebecca, the young woman, ran and told uh, those of her mother's house these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother uh, whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out to meet the man uh, at the well. Um, He sees his sister come in with this gold ring in her nose and solid gold bracelets on her hands and that caught Laban's attention so he's running back to the well he wants to meet this guy came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's uh, wrist and when he heard the words of his sister Rebecca saying thus man spoke to me Uh, then he went to the man and there he stood by the camels at the well and Laban said come on in O blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. And then the men came to the house, and he unloaded the camels, provided straw and feed for the camels, and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. And food was set before them to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have told you my errand. And they said, Speak on. So before... He has supper. Uh, He meets um, the family, so to speak, and they're all ready to dive in to eat. And Eliezer says, I can't really eat yet until I explain to you why I came here. Is everybody following me so far? So now he's going to lay it all out. And um, from here on out, beginning with verse... um, 35 he said um, he say in verse 34 speak on alright tell, tell us what, what this is all about well he said the Lord has blessed my master greatly and he's become very great and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and male and female servants and camels and donkeys and Sarah my master's wife, bore him a son to my master when she was old, and to him, that would be Isaac, he has given all that he has. Now, my master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife from the sons of the daughters of the Canaanites in the land where I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house, to my kindred, and take a wife for my son. And I said to to my master well what if she doesn't want to follow me but he said to me the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you he'll prosper your way and you shall take a wife from my sons from my kindred from from my father's house then you will be clear from this oath when you arrive among your kindred for if they will not give her to her then you are released from the oath And this day I came to the well and what I'm not going to read, I'm just going to recite because what he's now going to recite to them is a prayer that he prayed right before he showed up and there was Rebecca. Lord, let it be the one that I ask a drink of water from. And she says, okay. And by the way, I'm going to give water to your camels too. So what he's about to tell them that um, he's relation, number one, He's been sent to get a wife from his family members. In this case, it would be Rebecca. And he's telling them basically how he ended up at this point. And he is recounting to them what I call divine appointments. And so from verses 42, um, well, let's pick it up in 48. I bowed my head and I worshiped the Lord because... Rebecca showed up and I bless the Lord God of my master Abraham who led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother of your son now if you will deal kindly and truly with my master tell me and if not tell me that I may turn to the right hand and and the left and go home and so Laban and Bethuel well they were blown away they answered and said well this thing comes from the Lord I call divine appointment We can't speak to you neither good nor bad. It's the Lord. So they um, said, here she is. In verse 51, here's Rebecca, take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard these words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And then the servants brought out the jewelry, silver, jewelry of gold, clothing, gave them to Rebecca. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning and said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said to her, Now you got to kind of put yourself in their situation. You know, propose. Uh, it's the Lord go ahead and take it now, now they got a, a night to sleep on it and they're realizing our daughter we're not going to see her for who knows how long and any parent who loves their kids saying well, well why don't you let her stick around for in this case 10 days so I think this is normal human reaction um, they still want her to go But they're realizing that this is one night she's here and the next night she's gone. And so they say um, to her, well, can't you let the woman stay at least 10 days? Uh, After that she may go. But um, Eliezer, the unnamed servant, says, do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I might go to my master. So they said, well, we'll call the young woman and we'll ask her personally. We'll put the ball in Rebecca's court. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And what I want to point out here, and she said, I will go. The main point that I want to get at here is she has free will. She can say yes to this, or she can say no. Good place for it, amen. So she understands. Mom and Dad want her to stay around for a little bit. uh, The unnamed servant um, says, "I want, I want to go now," and they say, "Well, we're going to let it be up to Rebecca." And Rebecca says, "I will go." Now they have this long journey back, and so they sent away Rebecca with her and her nurse and Abraham's servants and his men, and they blessed Rebecca and said to her, "Our sister." May you be the mother of tens of thousands of children. Ladies, what do you think about that? (laughs) That's not what it means. You know what it means. And may your descendants uh, possess the gates of those who hate them. And then Rebecca and her servants arose, rode on the camel, followed the men. So the servants took Rebecca and departed. Now here's the end of the story. Isaac, who's waiting to see what's gonna happen, he says he, in verse 62 that he came from the way of Beer leah Roy, and he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to, uh, to meditate in the field in the evening and then he lifted his eyes and he looked and the camels were coming. Now Rebecca sees him. And she lifts up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. And she said to the servants, "Uh, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It's my master. So she took a veil, covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that had happened. Then Isaac brought her into his mother's tent. He took her, Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her, so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. True story, happened just as it said, but again, I believe it is a picture of a New Testament teaching, just as Jesus dying on the cross is a picture of Genesis 22 with Isaac Uh, being spared on the altar. You might be saying, how so, Dwight? Where do you get this? I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 16. Genesis 24 is an Old Testament picture of how the Father, sending the Holy Spirit, into the world to gather a bride for his son, Jesus Christ. And if you're in John chapter 16, let me draw your attention to verse 7, chapter 16, verse 7, talking about the Holy Spirit. That's, yeah, Verse 7, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. In another place, it says it's expedient. It's absolutely necessary that I leave. Because if I don't go, then, now I have the New King James. And the word in the New King James is helper. And this is one of the times that I'm siding with the original King James. Because the word comforter is used there. So new King James, helper. King James, comforter. So the Holy Spirit here is a comforter. He will come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. So Jesus goes back to heaven, and he sends the Holy Spirit. We're gonna be at Acts pretty soon. And what did Jesus say? We, we read this on Wednesday night. You guys stay in Jerusalem, don't go anywhere. Until you receive power, for the Holy Spirit's going to come down upon you, and I want you to wait until then before you do anything. So the Lord is saying here, I'm going back to heaven, and then I'm going to send the comforter. Well, I guess if you want another name for the Holy Spirit, you could call him comforter, or you could call him helper. Um, And when he comes, what's the purpose of sending the Holy Spirit? He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. What is the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit? How many of you have heard the terminology the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said all manner of sin I will forgive. I'll forgive all sin except one. And it won't be forgiven in this life and it won't be forgiven in the life to come and that is when the gospel of Jesus Christ is clearly presented that god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life but he said he also said that he was the only way no man comes to the father except through me oh Dwight you're so narrow-minded you bigoted homophobic, blah, 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 blah. You guys have heard them all, right? That's pretty narrow. Yeah, it's very narrow. It's called the narrow way. Few be that find it. Many don't. Especially today when the term out there is relativism and what's true for you isn't necessarily true for me. You have nothing to do with it if you're a Christian. I have nothing to do with it. This has everything to do with it. And what this is telling us right here is that the very purpose of the Holy Spirit is to come and convict you that you're not a nice guy or not a nice gal as you think you are, okay? And when you hear the gospel that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, all means all. Well, there's got to be some good there in me somewhere, isn't there? No, my Bible says my heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. My flesh is so tricky. Paul said it this way. I don't even judge myself because my flesh is so tricky. And so that's all in the Lord's hands. But you have a choice. If you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've just committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because there's no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. It's the only way. And that is every day growing. That's becoming more and more politically incorrect to make such statements. So let's tie it into our, our story. If the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to convict me of my sins and I repent, then he says he washes me and I receive his righteousness And he takes my sin and we sing the song white as snow, don't we? Though my sins were as scarlet, he has made me white as snow. That's the, in case I forget, in Revelation uh, 19 it says uh, the bride's garments were fine linen and very, very white. How did they describe Rebecca? Not just beautiful. No, she's very Beautiful. And so here's the picture that, uh, that we have unfolding. Now you're saved. Now you're washed. Now you're clean. And in the Lord's eyes, you are very beautiful. So the purpose of the Holy Spirit being sent into the world is actually to draw a bride to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when, uh, as far as uh, the coming of the Lord, um, When the disciples asked, they said, the Lord says, no man knows that. They are our, only only the Father. And I wish he would say it today. Good place for an amen. (laughs) And so as we look at this and bring it into the Old Testament picture, I'm completely persuaded that it's a picture of the Father sending the Holy Spirit back into the world to Draw whoever will. Rebecca had a free choice. She could have said yes. She could have said no. You can say yes here this morning or say no. You watching live stream, you can say yes. You can say no. Loved, and the Holy Spirit is not in the arm-twisting business. What he will do is he will lay out the facts. And we should have enough common sense and realize that he's not an arm-twister. That of your own free will, I've decided that I'm going to become a Christian. That's what love is really all about. And that's why we're referred to as the bride of Christ. You're not just a born-again Christian. You're a bride. And in Ephesians 5, when it talks about responsibilities as husbands and wives, the Lord says, this is a great mystery, but I'm not talking about earthly marriage. I'm talking about my marriage to the church And that that wedding is going to take place in heaven. And when we return, then we have uh, the wedding feast of the Lamb. Go to John chapter 3. We're almost done. I just heard Jerry in the sound room saying that's another 20 minutes. I heard you, Jerry. I can hear you out here. John 3, verse 29 and 30. I want to make a distinction about who's going to be at the guests at this banquet. In verse 29, it says, and this is um, John the Baptist speaking. He who has the bride is the bridegroom which is Jesus Christ. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hear him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is full. John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. But remember Abraham's bosom. There were a lot of Old Testament saints. Um, they're not the church Um, so what we have here if you go to well we're in John uh, let's go to um, mm, Matthew chapter 25 Yeah, Matthew chapter 25 at this point Matthew chapter 25 we have the parable of the ten virgins and this is by way of invitation this morning For those of you that think doing something besides um, receiving the free gift of Jesus Christ, uh, that there's only one way that you can be the bride of Christ. And we find it here in the parable of the ten virgins. And let's pick it up in verse one. The kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins. Uh, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom now five were wise and five were foolish those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps but while the bridegroom was delayed they all slumbered and slept we're waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ our bridegroom and um, life evidently is going on to Um, uh, in two different categories. Those that are saved, they have the oil in their lamps, oil representing the Holy Spirit. They're born again Christians. But at midnight a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil lamps, and are going out but the wise answered saying no lest they should be not enough for us uh, but go rather to the house who sell and buy for yourselves and when they went to buy the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in to meet him where to the wedding and the door was shut so afterwards and that's what happens the Lord is late And the rapture could happen. I mean, it's so late right now, my friends. Uh, It's it's no time to be playing Russian roulette with your soul, thinking, well, maybe I'll do it someday later. Um, You could be left behind. And um, the truth of the matter is, well, I'll live for Jesus during the tribulation. I'll give my life to him then. And a Calvary Chapel statement across the board with most Calvary Chapel teachers would tell you this. If you can't live for Jesus now, how are you going to die for him later? And that's a real honest question to be asking yourself. Um, I call that plague Russian roulette with your soul. Don't do it. Don't walk out of this building unless you're 100% sure. There's three musts in John chapter three. The first must is you must be born again. You must be. The second must is even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It means the cross. That must happen. And then the third must um, um, we read from, from John, and that is um, that he was a friend of the bridegroom, but just a friend. He's not, he's not the bride. He's Jewish from the Old Testament saints, Well, they're gonna live forever. They're gonna be living in the millennium on the earth. Old Testament saints, John the Baptist, one of them. The church is not, and we'll be getting into that in a couple weeks, maybe next week. It's called the New Jerusalem. That's your home, and we have access. I'm really looking forward to my new body because it sounds pretty cool to me. (laughs) Talk about getting wherever you want real quick. (laughs) And it says we're going to rule and reign with him on the earth. Well, who are on the earth? All the people, remember what we were talking about separating the sheep from the goats? All those that enter into the millennial kingdom, we're going to rule and reign with him. And when we go home at night, I imagine it's just going to be something just that quick. Or we come and we go, Who knows? Uh, afterwards, the other virgins came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he said, surely I say to you, I don't know you. Um, Jesus said, there's gonna come a time uh, that they will say, yeah, but Lord, we did this for you and we did that for you. We even cast out spirits in your name. He says, yeah, but I never knew you. It would be the same, uh, like say, well, I went to church and um, I supported World Vision But you can have all those things if you don't have that husband-wife-love relationship which can only come from a heart filled with gratitude, knowing what you deserve, and that's been taken on by Jesus. You know what that produces? Love. I love you for what you've done for me. You paid the ultimate price. Greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friend. And if that doesn't give you a response of love and gratitude, what's the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and might. That just doesn't happen. You can't muster that up. It comes as a result of realizing where you should be, what you do deserve, and Jesus, like Adam, died so that he could have his bride. All right, let's finish this up. He said, "I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming." I believe it's uh, the rapture, because I do know the time of Jesus' first coming and second coming, and we handled it last week. All right, how should we respond to this Bible study this morning? The last verse of, of Revelation 19, we got one verse left, verse 10. We read in verse nine, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, we're already, we're already sitting at the head table with our husband, okay? But there's other visitors. Who are they? Well, these would be those that um, are the Old Testament saints. Um, again, there's a distinction between the bride of Christ and John the Baptist. Both will live forever but they're not the same. So who are the blessed ones that are invited to the supper? These are their saints. Last verse, how should we feel about all this? Well, let's look and see how John felt about it. After he heard all this, um, I fell at his feet to worship him. He couldn't do anything else. So overwhelmed that this is going to happen. But he said to him, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant, you and your brethren, uh, who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. What else can we do but say thank you through our our worship and our quiet time uh, walking and talking with Jesus? That personal relationship like a husband and a wife. For the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of Prophecy. In other words, it was so overwhelming that John had to fall down and start worshiping this angel. And every time a human worships an angel, what does the angel do? (laughs) Rebukes him. Hey, hey, look, I'm not God. There's only one that you worship and that is your heavenly Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As we make our way through the book of Revelation, I think most of us could understand why we had to cut the chapter in two, one on the second coming and one on the marriage of the lamb. There's just so much here, Lord, and we're grateful that you lay these things out uh, ahead of us beforehand. We are so grateful, Lord, for all that you've done, and help us view ourselves as these, as the bride uh, being arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, is another way of saying, as we look at the Old Testament picture, that Rebecca wasn't only beautiful, she was very beautiful. And that's how you view us. And so, Lord, we're grateful for your grace and your mercy. And we commit the rest of this time and day to you. In Jesus' name, amen.